This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we have got a great show for you today. We'll be recapping UFC 275 with the occasional co-host of the show, Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Always nice to catch up with Joe and get his take on the fights. My favorite guy to talk to when it comes to breaking down fights, previewing fights. Joe, of course, holds a dear place in my heart for uh, the week-after-week commitment he has to the show. Uh, And, of course, he just did a glory event over the weekend. Plus, he's going to come back and cover UFC 275 with us, which is nice. We're also going to be talking to Czech journalist Robert Rampa, who writes for uh, Idnes Sport in the Czech Republic, to talk about exactly what it means to the country to have a champion in Yuri Prokhashka. There aren't a whole lot of fighters in the UFC that have come out of the Czech Republic, so interesting to speak with him. But first, let's do this week's monologue, or as I am calling it for this week, the Ioannologue. A tribute to Ioana Janjacek, who hung up the gloves after this past week. A spirited effort against Zhang Veili fell short and decided that that was that. Call it a day, retire from the sport that she has given so much to and walks away with a fantastic legacy. As being the strawweight queen, in my opinion, the greatest strawweight in the history of the UFC. So without further ado, here is this week's monologue. This weekly segment is typically called the monologue, but this week we're calling it the Yoanologue. The former strawweight champion announced her retirement following her second round loss to fellow former champion Zhang Veili. In calling it a career, she proved that even after a fight, her decision-making and timing is on point. Ioana could have had more big fights, made more money, and perhaps clawed her way back to another chance at the title. But why? Very few get the opportunity to leave the sport on top, and far too many wait until they hit the bottom. The loss to Wei Li did nothing to her legacy. It just signaled that her goal of becoming a two-time strawweight champion may be out of reach. She spoke all week about her motivations for this fight. It wasn't motivated by money fame, or even legacy, which are the driving factors of so many careers in this sport. But to prove to herself that she could still be the champion. She fell short of that singular goal on Saturday, but with her head held high, she gave credit to her opponent for her excellent work in the cage, made no excuses, and stated that Wei Li would defeat the current champion Carla Esparza in the first round of their likely future title bout. And she should hold her head high. Not just because she is arguably the greatest strawweight of all time, and the only strawweight to have more than one consecutive title defense, but for how she carried herself outside of the cage. After the introduction of the strawweight division, she carried it on her back, going above and beyond her media and promotional obligations outside of the cage. She treated everyone with respect, especially those behind the scenes, who made sure that UFC events go off seamlessly week after week. In an article for Us Weekly, she once said that if she could have a superpower, It would be the ability to make people happy. Just think about that for a second. Any superpower, and that's the one that she chose. And if you ask anybody who spent more than five minutes with her outside of the cage, they would tell her that she possessed that superpower. I told a story on Twitter after her fight on Saturday about how she helped me get over my fear of heights. It was something that she did out of the kindness of her heart during fight week, and I'll never forget it. And I don't think anyone will forget her energy inside and outside of the cage, and it doesn't seem like she's keen on letting us. She plans on continuing to be around the sport in retirement, to watch the events, meet fans, and learn about the business from her manager, Jennifer Goldstein. Because legacy isn't just defined by what you do in your very short window as a combat sports athlete, but also what you did before, during, and after. As Maya Angelou once said, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, 
but people will never forget how you made them feel. Thank you, Ioana, for your mastery in combat, for all of the hard work that you put in to make it happen, and for using your superpower to put a smile on all of our faces while you did it. I'm Aaron Bronstetter, and this is the Log. That was the monologue, or as I called it this week, the Log, talking about the fantastic career of Ioana Jonjecek, who hung up the gloves this past weekend. And of course, there's nobody I'd rather talk to about UFC 275 than my occasional co-host, Bazooka mm-hmm. Joe Valvelini. I hate calling you that now, but that's the way I it know. is. We, we, we're going to break down the big ones together. That's it. Yeah, I mean, life's getting in the way now from here, for me over here. But uh, a lot of good things on my end, though. We got amateur guys competing. We have, you know, my pro guys getting in there. So with the the world opening up again, it means Bazooka Joe needs to be elsewhere. These a lot of times. And you called but, the uh, uh, Glory Infusion Hybrid Show this past week. Yeah, or Glory Rivals, which was fun. Got back. I didn't get to watch it live. I called it from a studio in New Jersey. Unfortunately, you don't get that live feeling. And I mean, I know even with you calling, watching all the fights here. When you're live and you're there, it's just that better feeling. So, well, did you hold um, on? I, but did you call it like in real time though, or did you watch? I like... called it in real time, okay, okay. but uh, from a stream. But still, it's like I want to hear the shots land. I want to hear the impact. I want to give the guys hugs before and after the fights. You know, it's like the, those moments in the fight game that you really cherish and you miss a lot. So I didn't get it. So I'll just uh, be excited for our next one. So we'll be back in Germany um, August 20. So we got a little time off in between, but. Uh, yeah, I just want to be around live crowds again. Gets that uh, excitement going. And who's headlining that show? Uh, that one's going to be Jamal Ben Sadiq versus oh, yeah. uh, Benjamin Attic. I saw that announced. Wow, that's already in yeah. August. I'm excited for yeah. that. But October 8th, that's the one I'm most excited for. That's Collision 4. That's uh, Overing mm-hmm. versus Badr Hari. Yeah, that's that's the that's the one. You know if you're, all fans should watch that. But Ben Sadiq versus Adik Bui is going to be a better fight, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, of course. It'll be a better yeah. fight. That's, yeah. It's more for the hardcores, though. Yeah, but I because I mean both of those guys are power shots and it's a rematch. But the, the last time those guys fought was uh, the end of an eight man tournament. So I mean, fresh fight. Both guys uh, want to get back up there, and it, it looks like Rico's doing a lot of other things. So uh, who knows where uh, the heavyweight division is going, which makes it exciting. Is it the end of Rico? I don't know. He's still got a couple left for sure, but it just seems like he's loving his acting stuff. He's loving his movie stuff. So uh, who knows? Who knows where Rico's going? If if I was Rico, like, I mean, I don't know the situation, but if I was Rico, I'd kind of be looking for exits probably around this point of his life. That was a reference to an old gangster movie. Is this the end? You you don't know that line? That's from like a... From which one? I wouldn't surprise. Is this the end of Rico? Is like a famous... uh, I think it's, it's either the original Scarface... Or it's Little Caesar. I'm gonna look that. Is this? I, say, I don't think it's a Scarface. And a re- no, the original Scarface. Scarface. Okay. What's the original Scarface? It's actually Little, it's Little Caesar from 1931. So I, I took yeah. a gangster cinema class in university. So, but there's yeah, the, the Scarface with um, Pacino is not the original Scarface. That's a remake. I didn't know that. Jeez, yeah. I didn't know that at all. The original. Scarface I gotta watch the original. What I, is it worth watching the original? Yeah, it's uh the the main character is Italian in the original one. It's worth watching. Yeah. It's cool. It's got like yeah. very like very in-your-face imagery in terms of like kind of telling you what's going to happen in, in advance of it happening, but I, I won't give it away. But yeah, it's worth. It's only an hour and a half as opposed to the, the yeah. Pacino Scarface, which is like three hours. So what was your your course? Gangster film, uh, film yeah. mythology. In university, I took a gangster cinema course, which is that's, I mean that's awesome. Amazing. Why would you? My parents getting their hard-earned money. Uh, yeah, they probably <laughs> hated you for that one. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Yeah. So what's your? Then we'll move on to obviously the more exciting part of it. But what was your favorite gangster movie then? I probably still have to go with Goodfellas. Like I love Goodfellas. That's I could watch there, that yeah. movie every day. 
Yeah. And the first Godfather is great too. A lot of people like the second one better. I like the first one better, but the first Godfather movie I could watch. Yeah, I loved Scarface too. If, that, if we're gonna call that, but I mean, it's not Italian gangster, so I mean, that's where Goodfellas oh, is always Scarface good. Is. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I gotta watch it then. <laughs> Let me but, see. Yeah. Let me look up that movie. I think it's from like the '40s or something like the uh, original Scarface. So worth it because I loved it so much. Yeah, the original from 1932, a... the original Scarface movie. Before I ever wanted to be a professional world champion, I wanted to be in the mafia. That was one of my goals oh, in life. That was, just, that was a goal. Yeah, like it was like I was so into these gangster movies and being Italian. And I'm Sicilian too. Come on, hmm. it doesn't get any more mafia than that. I could have been a nice bodyguard or something with all my skills. Could have been a good hitman. Who knows? Or you could have just run the whole the whole uh, operation. That's it. Yeah. Could have been out the capo. I could have ran. I could have ran it. Who knows? Yeah, I like and it. Instead, you just ended up being one of the world's best kickboxers. I mean, so, yeah. yeah I, mean, so I guess I guess if that's the best you can do, that's the best. You yeah, can but do. look how much more money these gangsters are making. I would be probably on a yacht right now talking with you. Me, I would be <laughs> right be beside with Conor McGregor. <laughs> What's that? Couldn't be talking with me at all. That's ah, okay. Get the more know. important I business. Still a fight fan. Yeah. Me and Conor in our yachts together, and who knows? I could have some good inside stuff on there. Yeah, fair enough. All right, let's get down to brass tacks, as they say. UFC 275 this past weekend. What a main event. Might be the best fight ever, really, like, or at least the mm-hmm. best championship fight ever. Where do you, before we get into it, how high do you have it? Because I, you know, the ones that come up, and I was on Anakin Florian and talked about how when I was at Jones versus Gustafson, and, like, mm-hmm. it's been my favorite fight for a long time, or one of them. But watching it back recently, I was like, ah, it doesn't hold up quite as well as they did watching it live and watching the underdog rise to the occasion and bring the guy who was considered the best in the world at the time, you know, down to earth, right? So there's, that factor is always at play. And we saw that Gustafson ended up being a really great fighter who would, would challenge for the title again, but uh, twice actually, again. But uh, yeah, it just it didn't have that same vibe. And then Lawler versus McDonald too is like, that's, that's a classic Mm-hmm. Um, I, I watched that again recently. That one holds up, and I think a lot of it is because if you look at the range that they're hitting each other from, like they're hitting each other at the very end of their punches for like five straight rounds. It's unbelievable yeah. that they were able to maintain yeah. that. Yeah. No, I, I would say I have to agree with you. I mean, it's hard because I don't have the the memory that you do looking back at fights, but I, I would have to say what made it that much more exciting and what makes this fight exciting, each round had a momentum shift. At one point, you're seeing one guy fully dominate the other. Like, oh, it's done. Like, it's completely done. And then there's a complete shift in the in the narrative where the other person starts to take over. And each round had that shift, which is amazing. I think every great fight has to have a, a late finish, too. And I think the late finish added to how great that fight was. And I mean, Submission as well. I was on the res- yeah, I mean, I was on the receiving end of it. But my fight with Holtzkin was a fight of the year. And a lot of it, which made it fight of the year not even ever was uh me getting knocked down in the last 10 seconds uh, knocked out if you want to call it that in the last 10 seconds which made the extra excitement to the fun i think that's had that element you know knowing how good glover is on the ground to get submitted and to see how many times yuri tried to finish him and not be successful and seeing even glover make that mistake to to jump the guillotine i think it just had all the different elements of a good fight um but yeah i can't think of another fight that had those moments momentum shifts in every single round like that so i mean yeah i'm up there it's hard for me to to make the claim best ever but uh it's got to be one of the top top for sure yeah i mean i think of other championship fights you had the uh shogun and hendo fights you had alvarez chandler fights those were great fights but this one's definitely up there in terms of like the the pantheon of fantastic title fights and yuri like could you ever fight like yuri prokashka in terms of just it seems like his mantra is do whatever it takes 
make mistakes along the way and make your opponent make mistakes along the way and you're just going to end up on top. Like, that just seems to be the... He just is a free-flowing fighter that doesn't really seem to have any sort of set strategy and just completely flows with the fight as it happens, which I think is a great trait, but also a trait that might cut down the longevity of his career. Yeah, I mean, I think I heard someone say that he hasn't been to a decision since 2016 or something. He's a finisher. Like, he loves to go for the finishes. It makes the fights that much more exciting. But what made the fight exciting is has to be Glover a lot of times because you got to think, if you're the champion, what does the champion usually do? They're a little bit more cautious. They're a little bit more patient. The risk of losing the belt becomes a little bit more. So they don't risk and put themselves out there as much as do. At the end of that first round, Glover went for it. He tried to get the finish. He he attacked oh, like times. usually mm-hmm. he like people would hold back, conserve the energy. Both of those guys laid it out there and it was fantastic. But I loved Yuri's unorthodox style. There were some moments like I had to record and send to my my team and being like just his hands are down, but he's up elbowing you, hitting the body, slipping counter shots, coming back, level changing, elbowing again, then, uh, you know, kind of taking you down, getting on top. And like, he's just, he's so fun to watch, but technical at the same time. And I think a lot of people think of, uh, I heard a lot of people say the fight was sloppy, it wasn't good. I mean, to me, that was a very technical fight. The way both of those guys were able to kind of transition, the way they put their strikes together, I thought it was great all around. I mean, it was technical, but the thing is, they neither fighter was risk-averse. I think that's kind of what made it seem like it was sloppy, but I, I agree with you. I don't think it was a sloppy fight. I think that they just, they were doing things, they were taking risks. That's basically what it was. There's a difference, mm-hmm. I think, between a fight being sloppy and fighters taking really over-the-top risks, and I think that's kind of, it falls more into the latter category. Yeah, and I think and I always say every time I'm on, I'm like, you. It's it's an entertainment sport. You taking risk is what makes the sport exciting. And I mean, I know it's changing the narrative, and everyone's like, it's just going for the win. But there's an element why everyone's so excited about this fight is the risk. The risk of the fight is what makes it exciting. That's why going into it's exciting. That's why a lot of people, the winning aspect of it's that much more because the risk of the danger. And I mean, when you lay it out like that, both of those guys hopefully get some extra cash from from the big boss. Well, I have never felt so strongly about. The promotion having to do an immediate rematch. Like I think with Glover at his current age, I just don't think there's any upside for Glover to fight another contender to try to get back. Like Just make the fight. Do it at MSG. It, I, I was thinking the other day, if you took this exact card, the top three fights on this card, I don't know what Santos' health situation is like. It might not even be able, she might not be able to turn it around. But if you took this exact card and put it at MSG and you just took Joanna out and put in Carla Esparza and made it for the strawweight title, like that's a, that's a stacked card. If you did yeah. Prokashka, Glover 2, you did Shevchenko, Santos 2, and you did Wei Li challenging for the title against Esparza, and you did that all at MSG, like this, this card didn't have a lot of fanfare going in, but I think after what we saw, the appetite for watching these fights over again is very high. Yeah, yeah, I know. I agree with you. And I also think in the light heavyweight, do we really have a strong number one contender right now is the other question, well, right? I mean, you, you can say Ankalaev. And then you have Ankalaev against Anthony Smith. And, but I'm not, I mean, I don't think that the appetite for the, the viewer is as high as seeing a rematch. Yeah, no, I think you write it. I think, like you said, Glover's age right now, I think you run it. I mean, I don't think, I think both of those guys, depending on the damage that was taken. But yeah, no, I think that's the fight. And I think in the meantime, you'll get a clear number one contender. And then you kind of build the second fight. Put him on the same, I, I don't think you can put him on the same card. Because I think Ankalaev's booked, right? Ankalaev's fighting Anthony Smith in Anthony uh, Smith. end of July in Dallas. That almost would be the legit number one, but Jan's sitting at number one. Still, yeah, but right? there, there's so. the injury to Rakic, which I think is, is really taking away the allure of a Prokhazhka 
versus Jan fight. In fact, if I was the UFC, what I would probably do is I would run back Yuri versus Glover. If Yuri okay. wins that fight, you do a fight between Yuri and Jan in like the Baltic countries. Like that's yeah, big. Yeah, that's yeah. big money. Like that's that's yeah. what I would do if I was the UFC. If I wanted to look at it from a monetization standpoint, and I, Ankalaev's got a lot of time. And I mean, Anthony Smith is I think still in his like early thirties, if I'm not mistaken. Like I'm always shocked by yeah. how young he is. Yeah, me too. He actually looks like he's getting younger too. Like I keep seeing him with Bisping. I'm like, it feel looks like he's getting younger. I don't know if it's because yeah, Bisping's older and he looked young compared to him, but I don't know. Yeah, no, he's looking he's looking sharp. That's for sure. Whatever he's doing, I got to get on it too. So, um, no, I, I I like it, but I I think the rematch is the best way for the division right now. Yeah. And I think just the way and everybody's sitting, um, it's the right move to make. Oh, who wouldn't want to watch that one again, right? Like, and I think if you if you're Glover, you say, listen, this is my last fight. I'm going to go to MSG. I'm going to fight for the title. If I win the title, I'm retiring champion. And if I lose, I, I lose. But, you know, I think that that's probably would be... Like, if Glover went to the UFC and told them that, like, listen, I want to do one last fight. I want it to be at MSG near... He lives in Connecticut, which is nearby. Mm-hmm. And I want it to be against Yuri for the title. I, I just think the UFC would have to honor that. And I think that they would honor that. Not to mention that, again, I think it's the fight that people want to see. And the UFC is always boasting about how they want to make the fights that the, the fans want. And I think that this fight overwhelmingly... If you were to poll UFC fans and say, who should Yuri fight next? And you did Ankalaya versus Smith winner, Glover, Jan. I think Glover runs away with it. Yeah. I might now, put that poll do, up today, Joe, and see, see what happens. Yeah, I, I think you should. Do you think who is the – Do you? my question is, do you think Yuri can hang at the top and, and hold his belt? Or do you think it's going to be a swapping of titles? I think he can. I think Ankalaya is kind of the wild card. Okay. in all of this but i think that if he fights glover like that's fights a coin flip really like i think i mean glover was in so many positions to win that fight and yuri basically just wouldn't let him win the fight and yuri had a great strategy it was like don't give your back what uh, under any circumstance even if you're getting pounded in mount do not give up your back and it seemed yeah. like he would give up his back momentarily and then switch back and he would just he was very slippery on the ground and i think that that paid off for him but I, again, I think if you run that one back ten, 10 times, five times Glover wins it and five times Yuri wins it. it I think it's that close of a fight. It's that close. But how do you see Yuri with Rakic? I think Yuri would beat Rakic. But okay. I don't know. It's tough to say, right? Like yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm trying to say. I don't know if we, we still even have a clear guy that can sit at the top. So I think we could, again, Ankalaev could stay at the but top. But dude, I think like the last time Yuri wild, lost, right? he was 23. Like, Yuri hasn't lost a fight in like what, five, six years or something like that. Yeah, no, it's it's something special. I mean, the way he, the sh- the shots he can take from the damage he took to the way he comes back. I mean, the unorthodox style, the hairdo, it's something unique. And uh, I think we're all going to be excited to keep seeing him go. Yeah, I think that, like if you look at someone who's had their first three fights of their career have been as exciting as Yuri, like aside from maybe a Justin Gaethje, there aren't a lot of candidates out there that are close. Yeah, and who's who's basically got a title in three fights in the UFC? Has anyone done that previously? I mean, like Brock Lesnar has, I think. Um, okay, but very but yeah, few, I mean, if any, right? I mean, I guess Alvarez probably. How many fights did Alvarez had before? I mean, I'm gonna look that up because he he lost to Cerrone in his first fight by like a split decision, if I'm not mistaken. So let me let me take a look here. So yeah, he lost to Cerrone, and then on, in his third fight, fourth fight, sorry, fourth fight, he won the title. So not three, okay. but close. Chandler fought for the title in his second UFC fight, but he didn't win it. Okay. There are a couple. I mean, I think that if... I mean, Joanna won it in her second fight. Okay. But that was a new division, so it's a little bit different. 
Yeah. Well, regardless, great accomplishment. And I just to see how the Czech Republic accepted him as the champion was insane to me. Yeah. Like I, I, I saw the video and I mean, I, it was jammed. I think all of the Czech Republic was out there cheering for Yuri. So, I mean, the market in Europe is definitely there now. now at the end of the show, you'll hear my interview with Robert Rampa, who covers uh, sports for Idnes, which is a publication in the Czech Republic. And he told me all about what it means to the country, how they were kind of going through the same thing that we did in Canada when GSP was in his prime and was winning the champion, you know, and was the champion where a lot of the media are saying this is a barbaric sport, this is not a real sport. The kind of stuff that we heard 15 years ago here, they're saying that in the Czech Republic. And I, I mean, hey, if they're going to watch just Yuri's fights, then maybe they do believe that because that, that, that yeah. was that kind of a fight. And that was the first Czech Republic fighter? Or we've um, had other Czech Republic There's been others, obviously like Lucia Pudilova, who actually just got re-signed by the UFC, is from the Czech Republic, but there's not a whole lot of them. And uh, Robert told me, you'll hear in the interview a little bit later on, there are two Czech fighters on the Contender Series coming up, I believe, and there was another one that was on that road to the UFC that just uh, happened last week as well. So uh, they're, they're starting to develop fi more fighters in, in Czech. Yeah, I mean, they got something there with Yuri to kind of lead the pack. So, yeah, they got something for sure. I had a, a young uh, Czech Republic kickboxer here um, during COVID, but she had to go back. She was really good too. Just, I guess, a scrappy. The, the two that I've known here are just Great scrappy fighters. So but one of the ones on either the one that was on Road to UFC or the one that's on Contender Series was a Glory fighter. He told me it was somebody who was in Glory. Hmm. A Czech fighter from Czech Republic. Yeah. I don't know if we've even had a Czech fighter from Glory. I don't know. I'll have to do some research. Let me see. Czech Glory Glory kickboxing. If I see oh, him. I know who you're saying. I know who you're saying. A tall kid, Luis Pena. Yeah. he's yeah. gonna be. Uh, yeah, I remember him signing. That kid's very good. Southpaw, tall, lean. Um, very, very good. I mean, when I saw him, uh, with glory and I was like, dang, this kid is, this kid's special. And now I've been following his, uh, his MMA stuff. Uh, we follow each other on Instagram. The kid's very good, good looking, tall, super tall, middleweight. Um, and I mean, I think he'll, I think he'll do well. I think he's undefeated in MMA right now as well. Yeah. So yeah, Louis, uh, not Luis Pena. Uh, it's, uh, Matej. Matej Matej, Matej Pena. Yes. Yeah. And he, uh, his only loss in glory was to Visa. So, I mean. Yeah, who's our champion? Yeah, the champion, right? So yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. So no, and uh, when I saw, I remember him signing. I think it was a Dana White thing. I saw. I didn't know if it was yeah. a full contract. Yeah, that's it. So that's, that's uh, it. good. Interesting. I think we have another kickboxer too. Um, Anvar Bonazarov is going to be um, in the contender series as well, I believe. Another glory kickboxer. And he has like hundreds of Muay Thai fights. He fought uh, a lot of big names in glory too. So Anvar Bonazarov. Well, I was reading today that, um, and I don't know the veracity of this report, but that um, Alex uh, Pereira's manager said that they're basically guaranteed a title shot against Izzy if they win the fight against Strickland. Really? It's going to be a number one contenders fight, which makes a lot of sense because Strickland is one of the few yeah. guys in the division that Israel hasn't fought yet, even though they have the same management. But um, so basically, Pereira That's he could insane. be in the uh, Yuri Club and get uh, it would be a fourth. But I think fight. he said this is fourth. It would be his fourth fight. Too, fight yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So, but that's insane. I think he's still unranked. Yeah, he's still unranked. The last time I was looking at the card, yeah. so he's going to go Fast for the track, unranked baby. to champ. He's what 35, yeah. 30, So he's getting up there. Yeah, uh, but he's he's been well prepared. But he's training over at the Fountain of Youth over at Clover's gym. Yeah, they're they're eating something <laughs> well over there and drinking good. But uh, no, I mean, I, I would love to see that fight as as obviously a, a huge kickboxing fan. That's I just get excited listening and talking about it. Yeah, I I wonder what the line would be for a fight like that, right? Because 
Yeah, Pereira I would. You have to think Izzy a favorite, obviously. Yeah, Izzy will be the favorite, but I mean, I don't see a whole but, lot of grappling taking place in that fight, right? So if it's basically yeah. a kickboxing fight with four rounds of gloves, I what mean, would you put the early odds at? I think we have to see how he does against Strickland, right? Like if he if he cleans out Strickland in the first round, I mean. You have to. Who knows, right? And then yeah. maybe Israel has problems with Cannoneer. Like the lines are based so much on the perception at the time. Yeah. I mean, if I was to make the line today, plus the past though, the past is a big factor in this yeah. fight. Saying he's lost twice, you know. Mm-hmm. If I was to make is the he's... line today, probably Israel like minus one seventy. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. Uh, yeah, it's not going to the ground. Uh, maybe some cage control, but maybe Izzy surprises, but I don't think he'd want to even take a chance. Right. Against those long limbs of Pereira, too, and it's just, ooh. It's not like Pereira wait. doesn't have Glover on top of him every day, making his life miserable. Yeah, suffocating yeah. him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mentioned on Saturday on social media, I was like, I was doing my gardening in the morning, I was like, thinking about how Alex Pereira trains with Glover, and I thought to myself, there's very few people that could probably emulate Yuri Prokashka the same way as Pereira does. Now, of course, they're totally different fighting styles. But if you look at the body styles and the length and the, you know, the technical acumen that Alex Pereira has and being around these striking-based combat sports, he could probably do a good imitation of Yuri Prokashka in camp. Yeah, long, rangy. Um, Alex can switch stances very well. He can punch. He, he's got low hands. If you watch Yuri, Yuri never keeps his hands up. If you watch Pereira fight, his hands are never really high. Pereira rolls with punches, kind of uses his head movement and eyes. Very similar. I mean, maybe not as many elbows and stuff as Yuri and maybe some of the spinning stuff. But, I mean, we've seen Pereira throw spin kicks now. We've seen him with, you know, I'm sure he'll his elbows. With that body frame of Pereira, Elbows should be your best friend. Knees and elbows. He'll smash you with knees. I think Pereira's knees are a lot better than Yuri. I almost, in a weird way, like when I saw Yuri fight, I almost wanted to be like, if Alex does really well, like, is that a fight? Like, you know, in the future, the those two? Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I was thinking about that when I was watching that fight in a weird way, being like, I could see Pereira fighting and beating someone like Yuri, you know? Can you imagine if he ends up being a two division champion in two different in glory and the and the UFC? Like where would yeah. he? People would would probably put him up there with with the best of all time if he was able to do yeah. that. But he could strike with anybody in that division, oh, for sure. right? In the two hundred five. But the only problem again is the wild card on Kalaya. Mm-hmm. Like right. how much can he grapple and mix the things together? But other than that, I think he can beat Dominic, yeah, even Dominic be like Reyes. thirty seven or something. Just like yeah. win the middleweight title, win the light heavyweight <laughs> title, and just walk away. But, like, Anthony Smith, I think, would be a very difficult one for him because of that wrestle and grapple. But, I mean, Anthony would stand maybe for a little bit, too. So, I don't know. I mean, I, it wouldn't be crazy to say that uh, just as Israel has a good shot at that 205, I think uh, maybe Alex even better. Because I think Alex is a lot bigger than Izzy, too. Like, I think Alex walks a lot heavier. Like, I don't think Izzy, I think Izzy so cuts, too. obviously, but probably from 205, yeah. maybe. But I, I can guarantee you, like, from fact, Pereira's he's walking 220, 215. Yeah, I've, like, I've been around him during fight week and he's big. Oh, yeah. He's got size of his bats hands. For arms and legs. It's just oh, yeah, frame. Like, no, he's he's walking 220, you know? And again, a, a good, you know, light heavyweight's walking 230, 235, you know, some at least 30 well, pounds. He, says so, he, I mean, he enters the cage at 215 on fight night. He says he doesn't put much on and that he doesn't walk around that close to, like, yeah, I so think he's probably about the same size as Alex. 
Yeah, there you go. But he just seemed big compared to Glover, though. When you saw them standing face to face before the fight, I'm like, Yuri looks so much. I guess because of the height, yeah, he made him Glover's look that much thick. bigger. Like Glover's a much thicker oh, yeah. guy than Yuri. Yuri's very spindly, like like Alex Pereira. Yeah, I mean, you got a Glover's like a SpongeBob, like a big square, <laughs> heavy cinder block. Like it's literally a big cinder block. Like, I think of him as like a lead blanket. Hips. Like when he's on top of you, it's like having a lead yeah, blanket yeah. on top of you. Oh yeah. He never leaves any space. That's a terrifying man on top of you, Glover. That's the last guy I want. I can't even breathe. I'm claustrophobic, and thinking about Glover on top of me, I can't even breathe. They showed that great clip Insanity. during fight week. You see it like on social media where he's on top of Anthony Smith. He's like, I'm sorry about this, bro. And Anthony's like, yeah. He's like, it's, it's yeah, okay, it's man. It's all good. He's like, it's it. just the job. Do it. Yeah, the lead blanket, yeah. the cinder block. Yeah. No, I, I just I love his personality. We shared moments in Amsterdam when he was cornering uh, Alex that I would always remember just the sweetness of him as a man, as a fighter. Um, and it's not just me saying this, the entire world saying. Yeah. It. So if you don't like Glover, he's man. got no soul. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> you don't love the lead blanket. You're out. You're out of the crew. Let's move to the co-main event of the evening. Valentina Shevchenko defeats Tyler Santos by split decision. 48-47. 48-47 for Santos, and then 49-46 for Shevchenko. I believe it was closer to 49-46 Shevchenko than it was 48-47 Santos. I have to go back and watch it again, but it's difficult, right? Because, you know, this is one of the problems with the criteria as it's written. Not the criteria, it's like, not the way judges are judging fights, but the criteria as it's written, it really doesn't give, and this has been a real topic of conversation throughout the week, it doesn't give a lot of points for control like if if you have someone's back for three and a half minutes you've earned your way to get that position you've got a tight body lock that should probably count for something no yeah yeah i mean i think uh when i heard you and kenny florian chatting about it it was uh basically the effective grappling is where um i think you said the word the gray zone right well it's it's very difficult the way that is written in the criteria is effective grappling is grappling that does damage basically so it's like big throws like a judo throw you know, if, if if someone has like a, a landing where they land in a heavy way and it, it looks like the throw causes actual damage, that's effective grappling. If you're going for chokes and you're under the chin and the person has to fight their way out of it, that's effective grappling. But then why is effective grappling not having someone's back and getting them in a body lock and have them having to fight their way out of it? To me, that should be considered effective grappling because I think that a body lock does damage. It, like you're, you're constricting the lungs. You're you're putting pressure on, on their uh, their abdomen. You know, like it's... That should be looked at as being effective grappling, but I don't know if the judges look at it that way. And I'll have to ask. I'm going to be at the ABC conference in about a month's time in Niagara Falls, and I'd like to ask that question because it's like maybe in some judges' eyes it does count as uh, effective grappling. And a lot of people were mad at the 49-46 scorecard, but I can see it that way. I really can. Yeah. I mean, just the language to me, and I know I said it before, effective grappling. If it's... If I'm getting pieced up, like, I don't know, say it's very obvious when a fight starts who's the better striker and who's not. So if the grappler is able to take the striker down, and I don't like to say this because I'm a striker, but if you're able to take me down and not let me strike with you for majority of the round, you beat me in that round. You know what I mean? Because you're not allowing me to do what I want to do. And whether you have a body lock, body lock on me, a body triangle, it doesn't matter what you have. If you're on my back and I'm constantly fighting your hands, even though you're not doing anything, I don't know. It's, you're winning to me. You know, I don't know. Well, I'll, That's just it sounds weird to me to say that. I'll say to this. Hear that. Watch the post fight press conference that Shevchenko did, because it's very clear 
that she knows the criteria inside and out because she was talking about this. She goes, she had me, she had me down, but she wasn't doing anything and I was landing damage. And that's what the criteria says. It's like she was pointing directly to the judging criteria, which I found very refreshing. You don't see a lot of fighters, especially at a high level like Valentina Shevchenko, talk about that. Yeah. And that's why when you see in the first round, Santos has her back and Shevchenko's punching backwards and hitting her, that's registering with the judges probably as much or more than Santos having her back. Because Santos isn't landing strikes. She's not doing anything with the position. Yeah, but again, and you're not doing anything, but those punches also aren't doing anything. They're doing right? damage. It's not. They are still doing more damage than laying there. More damage, than, yeah. and yeah, that's what the fights yeah, are being I guess scored so. on. Yeah, because at the end of the day, those little, a lot of times when you have that position, like, you let them punch you because it doesn't hurt. It's nothing. It's like someone flicking you. It's just more annoying right, than it Santos is effective. Santos needs to do right? something with the position, Joe. She's she's got no, her know, back and is doing nothing with it. I so know, I can't defend I her winning the fight. I can't get, get on them. board with that. Again, through the eyes of the criteria, I think if you showed it to somebody who doesn't know the criteria and who won that round, yeah. they'd say Tyler Santos probably 10 times out of 10. But that's just not yeah. the way that the fights are scored. And I think that we need to, as a collective community in mixed martial arts, recognize that and not put the blame on Shevchenko or on the judges. That's the way that it's written. So you have to come yeah. to terms with it and accept it. Or we need to rewrite the rules that too. by people who kind of understand it. Like if you're going to talk – if you're having guys like Kenny Florian complaining about what effective grappling is in the rules, that is an issue. But the thing you is know, the rules were written with the consultation of guys like Matt Hughes, Randy Couture, grappling-based fighters. They helped write these, this criteria. They were on the yeah. advisory committee. Yeah, but I was on the advisory committee with the unified rules of kickboxing. How much rule? How much say did I actually have? I mean, I could put a suggestion, but like I didn't actually help write They're it. They're the rules was... committee. They're the actual yeah. rules committee. It's those two guys and Jeremy Horn are the rules yeah. committee that actually. Hey, I like it. I'm a striker. All right. my guys that I train are strikers. But I'm, what I'm saying, I don't, mind it, but mostly, I don't necessarily think it's fair. I don't know fair. about Jeremy Horn, but I mean, Hughes and Couture were mostly grappling-based fighters. Yeah. Couture wasn't knocking out heavyweights with his big, heavy hands. He was making their lives miserable with his grappling. Matt yeah, Hughes especially. He also, he was good on getting on top and punching. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, no, I get it. I get what you're trying to say. I just don't think it's necessarily the right decision. And I think the, the right reason rules, it's but... written the way it is, where it's like a two-page document, is because it leaves very little room for nuance. It's just like damage is what wins you fights. Determine who's doing the most damage and give that person the round. And that's, I don't know. But I also think that... The reason why I would run this one back right away is the clashing of heads. And also that yeah. doctor that came in after the fourth round and looked at him, like, yeah, oh, can you see? Oh, okay, bye. Yeah, have a, have a good fifth round. Take care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because from what I understand from an official that was on site, they told me that they went and looked at the replay and saw that it was the clashing of heads. So if the fight would have been called after the fourth round, if the doctor says, hey, Tyler Santos can't continue, it would have been a split draw. They would have gone to the scorecards. It would have been a technical decision. So... And Shevchenko still would have got her belt. She would have, anyways, she would have retained right? the belt, but she would have, it wouldn't retained. have been a win. She wouldn't have won. Right? Yeah. And that's when you say, okay, we're going to have a rematch. We've got to sort this out. And, and my understanding was a broken orbital. Yeah, broken orbital. So yeah. do you know what the recovery time on that is? I'm not too sure. I think sure, it varies. But, yeah, it depends. Like I know some people who've had to have plate screws put in the orbitals. Depends how big the fracture is. But a big part of it is the mental side of it after. you got to think your whole sport's based on getting punched in the face 
to train after you've had a broken orbital how how long is it before you're competent enough to get punched back in the face that's another big part of it and that changes with a lot of fighters as well same thing with concussions as well some fighters like after they've been knocked out sometimes like even in sparring they get hit and they wait do i have a headache do i have a headache is this going to hurt so like it can play the psychological games on santos the fighters. did look a little bit shook after i think it was the second or third round because her coaches were like you're killing her you're kill you're doing it it was almost like she wasn't yeah. expected to do it it's like it and then she got she came out and she was like okay like this is this is happening but it's more like yeah. it's treated like another fight <laughs> it's one of those crappy things man i was like it's so unfair to get an accidental headbutt break your orbital in your world title fight i mean i know that's the crappy part of fighting and like lately i this gave me the example of uh lately i've been really into the netflix show the formula one drive to survive mm -hmm. it seems everybody and i've been loving it I haven't seen I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with it so i've been into formula one lately but i i see a lot of times at the start of the races they clip each other one guy clips off and is off the race i'm like that's so cheap. Like, how did he just start? They clipped the guy, fully clipped him, and he went off the road. And that the guy gets a couple second penalty, like a five second penalty. I was like, all right, I'll just start clipping everybody yeah, the off the road. Done. Then you know, <laughs> their day is over. Like, I don't understand. Like, they're clipping each other, and like, there's no penalties for this. And this guy's winning the race after just knocking this guy yeah. off on. Well, off I mean, this race. shouldn't be a penalty, but if it's if it's accidental and it's causing an issue in the fight, like. You, I think the the doctors need to be cognizant of like, hey, is this or the judges or the ref? Somebody needs to be like, well, is the, has this altered the fight? And it's hard with an yeah. accidental. Like, what yeah. do you do? Well, it's just the, it's such a crap. The doctor basically situation. needs to stop it. It's on the doctor to basically say, okay, well, they can't continue. And then if they do that, it goes to the scorecards. But I mean, that could have swung the entire fight because, like, let's say that doesn't happen and Santos loses the fourth, but then comes back and wins the fifth and looks good in the fifth. She wins that fight. She's the new champion today. Yeah. yeah. I mean, lots of lots of little things. I mean, it's crazy to think that after I mean, I know it's a new sport, but look how many topics come up where there could be rule changes. There could be topics of discussion. So, I mean, I mean, there's so many different areas that still come up that are still new, which is insane to me. Well, it's discussed every year, I'm sure, at the conference. And I'll, again, look into that on uh, when, I'm, when I'm down there. I'm excited about doing that and being there. I'm going to take a referee course, judge course. Yeah. And uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, the strawweight fight. Zhang Veili defeats Joanna Jonjecic. Spinning back fist, second round. And it didn't look like Joanna was out, but she knew she lost. Like, basically, that's what she said after. She's like, it hurt. My head was, like, ringing. I was still there. And then when I got up, I knew what happened and that I was done. But, like, it doesn't look like she, she went out or anything like that. But she did go down face first. And it, I was going to say, uh, I don't know if I uh, definitely agree with her description on that. Like, she was flat out face forward she fell forward yeah. no matter how whether you're in or out if you fall face plant forward it yeah. means well, you're she's not making excuses she no she knew she lost like she's not saying no, i know she not lost but she got knocked out yeah that, that spinning back was knocked her out like no I, it's impossible to fall the way you did if you're awake yeah you know like you don't just fall face first you would put your hands down well, to maybe catch she meant it before like when she hit fell. the mat and woke her up and then she was like yeah that's maybe a, that's a little bit better but yeah, uh, yeah Zhang Vili looked fantastic. I spoke to some yeah. uh, folks at FanDuel who make the odds, um, and they said that Weili would probably open as a minus 275 favorite against Carla Esparza. I agree. I agree. What do you think about it? I, mean, I think the line will get bet up to minus 350. <laughs> yeah, more. Yeah. It's going to keep going. Yeah. Higher. That power, the aggression, the forward pressure – the power in her kick. She looked like, honestly, she looked like a, a good, strong kickboxer. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, she looked incredible. Like, I mean, she fought with power, aggression, good stance, good structure, ending her punches with kicks. And I mean, the the whole sequence of her finish was beautiful. One of my favorite, it would almost, it was a little bit like uh, the Sergio Pettis. Right. The left yeah. kick kind of sets up the spin. So she threw a left kick first, and then it was a side kick, and then her side kick fueled her right into the spinning back fist. And if you watch the finishing sequence of the way she landed, and it's sneaky too, and this is how I know it's probably very technical, one of the tricks to a spinning back fist, I'm not going to say who taught me this, if you want to do more damage in a fight, the legal rules is you have to hit with the back of the hand. So I'm trying to show you the back. So you spin, you got to hit with the glove part of it. But when the way Wei Li landed, she came sideways. So she hit with the side oh, of wow, the hand okay. where there's no padding. So by, if you spin and you hit with the side, you get a little bit more damage on the spinning back. So the way she landed it, boom. Thanks to money Ernesto Hoos for teaching that to Joe. Yeah, I'm not saying who taught me that, but I'm just going to say it's a nice little trick. Because in kickboxing, it's illegal, but uh, you have to hit with the back of the hand mm -hmm. for it to be legal. But if you hit with the side, I don't think that's an MMA rule. No, I don't anyways, think so. But, uh, I haven't heard anything along those lines. Because you can, you can hammer fist people all day, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm guessing you can spinning back fist. But, I mean, with a spinning back fist, I'm like, it's so stupid why you couldn't do that in kickboxing. So I can spinning heel kick you with my heel mm -hmm. as hard as I can with so much momentum, but don't let me hit you with the side no, of I mean, the glove. Then you can you do know? a spinning back elbow. So I have a feeling what you're talking about yeah, is, is legal. Think. <laughs> yeah, you would think. Yeah. So, yes. But in kickboxing, it is illegal to hit with the side. But as you heard off the top of the show with my monologue, I think Joanna chose the exact perfect time to retire. Because yeah. what's left for her to do? Her legacy, she was saying it all week. She's like, I've got the money. I, I, my legacy's set. I'm just doing this to prove to myself that I can be champion again. And when you lose in that kind of a manner against one of the top strawweights in the world... You have to think that if you're going to get back into the championship mix, you're going to win two, three more fights. And I don't think you'll want to want to fight two or three more times. Yeah, I know. It's the right time. And I mean, if she was sticking in for the money or the fame, she's not in for that. And I mean, I just thought it was beautiful. She's at a perfect age. She wants to start a family. I mean, yeah, go for it. I mean, that's, the I think, the best part of a balanced lifestyle. You know, you put 20 years into the sport. Now have a balanced life approach, coach, still be part of it in different ways, uh, go out with full full brain cells. So I think it's the right move, and I think more people need to start thinking that way. Yeah, and I, I said this in the monologue too. So many, Everybody wants to win to leave the sport at the top, but so few are able to do it, and more often than not, people leave at the bottom. You don't want to leave at the yeah. bottom. It's the competitive mentality. You always want one more. You always want one more. You always want that finish on top. You always – you got to finish at the right time. And, I mean, if you haven't set yourself up financially by then, I mean, it's unfortunate. But you got to think at that point now it's like how much more are you going to be making that's going to help your life in the yeah. future. I'll pull out so. a deep cut here because he was just removed from the uh, UFC roster this week. Chaz Skelly got a win. Said, I'm making a lot of money. I think he sells roofing or something. It's like a family business. Says he makes a lot of money doing that and that fighting's, you know, it's fun for him. And he, you know, but he said, you know, I, I've got a career now and I'm happy with it. And he left on a win. And I think that's kind of the way you want to go out if you're not at a championship level. You get a nice win. Hopefully you're, you're set financially with something else or you got something else in the back burner. Yeah. And you can leave uh, in, in that kind of a situation. Yeah. And it's like, you got to think, when do most people retire from the sport? 35? 30 to 35 at that age you still have a whole life of work to do still like even if you made great money in the ufc you're 35 years old is your if you made a million dollars if that that's very rare to, to be a ufc fighter and even if your fight purses combined i guarantee you to not even make a million dollars for 99 percent of the roster so at that point there it's like you're still gonna have to have another career so like i look at guys like 
Chad Lepre, who I got to work with at the end of his career, he's a cop now. It's like now he has a full pension coming. He's working. He's able to support like things like that. I still think they it's almost like this is your university. And then when you retire, that's when real life starts. I mean, I remember, I remember talking to Sean Pearson, who I'm looking at his career now. He hasn't fought in like almost 10 years now. Um, actually, today is June 15th. His last fight was nine years ago today to the date in Winnipeg, Manitoba. But he, he was on a three fight win streak. And I, I spoke to him. I said, hey, are you going to fight again sometime? And he said, I'm, I'm in IT now, and I'm making good money doing that. And he's like, I, I still love fighting, but I just, it's not worth it for me anymore. Like he said something along yeah, those yeah. lines to me. This was probably six, seven years ago I spoke to him. But it's, you know, that's the way it is sometimes. If you can find something good to do outside of the sport, and you love the sport, and you love competing, but, you know, you're able to make a good career, and you can leave in, in a spot where you're coming off a win, I think that that's the way to do it if you're not at, like, a championship level. And Sean Pearson, no disrespect to him, there's only several, you know, there's only so many champions in the world. And what did he fight at yeah. welterweight? Yeah, so he would have had to like, he would have had to beat like George St. Pierre at that point in time, yeah. right? You know, and yeah, just, but if, if you yeah. look at Sean Pearson, though, like, I mean, he may not have had that UFC belt to make him. That's he is one of the Canadian pioneers. We would not be where we are without people like Sean Pearson, you know, from the early days. So Sean Pearson was fighting probably I don't I, on i know he was but he was on native reserves fighting where it wasn't even legal here and he they, these guys were going uh, to reserves fighting native reserves fighting t- being told that there's a good chance you're going to be arrested leaving this place you know and it's like these guys had so much but they loved the sport they continued with it it turned from doing something illegal into something where they was able to go to the ufc so i mean that's a pioneer of the sport mm-hmm. easily here in canada yeah there's one of those guys on the Ultimate Fighter now. Bobby Maximus is a Canadian. He used to train under. Um, why am I drawing a Bobby? What's his name? Rob uh, McDonald. Rob McDonald. Yeah, but yeah. He used to, isn't he close to forty now? Too? He's forty-three, I think, and he's on the Ultimate Fighter this season. How? That's what he someone told me. Like my, one of my manager told me. Yeah. How did he get on it? I don't know. He, he explained to me. I interviewed him, and he told me it was kind of a rigorous process, and. Um, yeah, he uh, he said he writes for like Men's Fitness magazine. He, he's like a real okay. like he's a big fitness guy. He lives in Salt Lake City now. Um, why am I not remembering? It? Who is Sam Stout's coach? Who passed away? Uh, Sean Tompkins. Sean, yeah, he's trained under Sean Tompkins um, yeah. back in the day. So um, that whole group, yeah, from Sean Tompkins, mm-hmm. just from a different breed. I'll just I'll just quickly give Sean some love here because he had Mark Hominick, mm-hmm. Sam Stout, Chris Hordesky. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I think at one point like Randleman and all those UFC guys were under him. But he also had uh, Malcolm Gordon under him. Um, that whole London crew, man, they were just tough. Jesse Ronson crew. I don't know if he was Sean Tompkins, but he was from the affiliates of that time. And I mean, that whole group was just made from something else. Yeah, that, that was like the Canadian pioneers. And I've seen Chris Hordesky recently. He still looks like a kid. I don't know. I don't know what. Oh, yeah. The deal oh, yeah. I've guys. always run into him. I <laughs> love Chris. Yeah. Chris. Amazing. He's always looked so, uh, so young. Oh yeah, and he's always full of life too, and it's just he's he's, uh, he's a he's a very amazing guy to be around. It's fun. Was on the receiving end of one of the uh, the best knockouts ever, the Enjikwani head kick. Enjikwani, yeah, the exit. Yeah, on the exit. Yeah. That's, a... yeah, that's why I always say that's why I'm the biggest believer. Exit head kicks are the easiest way to knock somebody out. If you can get your leg that high, like uh, I always bring up the Hakeem Duwadu exit head kick knockout, it's the easiest way to finish somebody. There's a fighter on the card that I don't think I've seen such improvement from in a long time. Jake Matthews. I know where you're going. Jake yep. Matthews. I knew where you're going. Fialu, uh, he looked fantastic. He looked like a different fighter. Not only does he look like a different fighter, he looks like a different person because he looks so much older now. He used to look like Justin Bieber back in the day. He had that haircut. <laughs> now he just he's that, that's a grown man now. 
Yeah, and I think w- did I hear correctly? He came to the UFC at 19, yeah. and now he's had 11 UFC fights. Something like that. He's 27 now. Mm-hmm. Let's see how many UFC fights. Incredible, he had. incredible. He looked sharp, man. I mean, my two, one of my two favorite fights on the card um, was the Jake Matthews, and I really enjoyed the fight before the Jack Della Maddalena fight. Della Maddalena, two Australian Ma- guys. De- he's he, it was Amazing. a 16th fight. He's 27. It was a 16th UFC fight. 16th yeah. UFC fight. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, I'm incredible. And if you listen back to the last show we did together, I was talking so highly of Andre Filalio there. Like, I was saying, this guy, two-fight knockout streak. He's doing good. So for Jake Matthews to come out, be so calm. Was the My patience, favorite thing the that precision. he did, the precision was number one, but it was the precision of how he mixed up his overhand with his uppercut. Very well done. Very patient. Good eyes. Good sniping, like I'm. I'm now excited to see him fight. And Della Madalena passed that test because he's one of these guys on Contender Series that I'm really high on. That I, I thought had a really good future. But you match him up with a guy like uh, Ramazan Amiyev. I was saying like that's an underdog or pass situation if you see Amiyev at plus 140. But he had them him deep in that choke. It was either yeah. a Darce or an Anaconda, and Della Madalena fought out of it. That was a deep, deep choke. Fought out of it and then knocked him out. And I mean. That is, you know, the gut check that you need to prove that you're going to be something in the UFC. Yeah, and what I liked from him was the body work. He way he attacked the body, set things up, and very impressive fight. I mean, I was surprised that he was an un, uh, he came in as the favorite, to be honest. But uh, it just showed that uh, that was the right call. And then the uh, prelims: Josh Kulabau versus Sung Woo Choi. This was probably the second best fight of the day. Uh, yeah, great easily. fight, Kulabau. Really, uh, you know. Was a big underdog in this fight. Looked fantastic. That should not have been a split decision. There were a couple scorecards. You know me, Joe. I'm giving the judges the benefit of the doubt now. Yeah, you do. But you there do. were some scorecards that were just terrible on this card. Yeah. And it was all the same judge. It was this guy, Anthony Oh, we're blasting Dimitri. him out. He's an Australian judge. And I just don't know what he was watching. How can you give Sung Woo Choi the first round of that fight? He got dropped. Like, badly yeah, dropped. Bad. Yeah. Almost lost. But he came back near the end. But still, he got dropped. Yeah, you can't, you, you, know? you can't give him the first round of that fight under any circumstance watching that fight. No. I, I don't get it. And he gave, he gave uh, Kyung Ho Kung the first round of his fight with Bat Garel where he got hurt badly. And he gave Jocelyn Edwards the first round of her fight against Ramona Pasquale where she got like hit to the body and dropped. Like, I don't know what this guy was watching. I, like, I would love to... Like, that's the one time where now that I'm very familiar with the, the criteria, mm-hmm. I would actually love to hear an explanation because... Those scorecards are actually bad scorecards. You don't see them yeah, that often, yeah. in my yeah. opinion. Now, again, now, now looking at things through the lens of the criteria, I won't be calling out judges very often. But yeah, I'm calling him out because those, were bad, those yeah. were bad scorecards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, I'm just glad that the right fight winner got yes. the, awarded it because that could have been very bad. That's the but, benefit uh, of having good judges. If you have one yeah. bad judge, the right person is still going to win. Yeah, but a good judge can have a bad night or miss something, yeah, or so it's it's just tough to to have it. But uh, yeah, the the Choi Kulabau was a very fun fight mm-hmm. to watch. Very fun. I mean, I I like I like Choi's style. I mean, the kid was good. I, I don't know something about him, but Kulabau when he cracks you, that's it. He's got that crazy power for a featherweight. Yeah, good for him. I think his stock is going to go way up. Uh, Mahashate looked great against Steve Garcia. Gets a knockout early in the first round. Good on him. Yeah. Brandon Allen gets the uh, the nod. I think a lot of people thought Malcoon was up two rounds going into that third round. But, again, the criteria paid off in that one for Brandon Allen because he was the only one doing damage in that first round. Yeah, and he got a lot. But he was more on top position, too, more. Not in the first the fight, round. if I'm correct. Not I in the first so, round? No. 
Yeah, but I just remember watching because I was watching it on a cell phone in a car. <laughs> but uh, from, yeah, we were trying to watch it because uh, my co-host, uh, my broadcast partner, was Ron Crook. Oh yeah, he was uh, a Denver of guy. HDNet fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I called uh, fights with him. He does all the LFA stuff mm-hmm. as well too. So he's making a big name for himself. And I think he was uh, he was really riding heavy on Brendan Allen. Just I think he was a Denver kid as well as uh, an LFA guy. So I know Ron was really following him. Mm-hmm. But uh, when we watched, I, I think we're biased, so we were really cheering Brendan on. Well, I uh, I used to PVR inside MMA every week with Boz Rutten and uh, Ron. With Boss and Ron, yeah. And was it Kenny Rice? And was Kenny it Rice. Too? It was Kenny Rice, yeah. Boz Rutten, and Ro- and Ron Crook was like the. Quarter. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, old school. Yeah, it's an old school days. It used to give you the recap of like stuff that was happening around the world. Like this is, again, like back in the day, it's like oh, we're going to XFO four in New Zealand, and this is what happened. I was like, yeah. oh, cool. I brought it up because I, I talked to one, my videographer and my good friend Danny. So I, I went to Danny. I was like, yeah, I'm, uh, Todd's not able to call the fights. I'm going to call it with Ron Cruck. He's like. Ron Kruk, and he was thinking, and he was like, Ron Kruk, who used to do NFL recaps, not uh, NHL recaps. I'm like, what are you talking about, Ron Kruk? He's like, yeah. So I asked Ron, I was like, Ron, you used to do, he's like, yeah, on HDNet, we used to do random, like, we used to call, like, all different sports. I was like, I can't picture you giving Kenny, hockey. Kenny Rice was like a the horse racing guy. Like, he did the MMA show, but he was horse mostly known racing. for horse racing. Yeah. Who knows what Mark Cuban and HDNet was doing back then. Jeez. They just did everything, I guess, yeah. and those were the guys. They used their fight guys to do other sports as well. All and right. the guy who ran it was ran it was an ex fighter as well. Like Cuban owned it, but the guy who ran it, I forget what his name was, and he was an ex fighter. But they were connected through Fight Network too, right? No, Fight, Network, well, right? fight Network bought them different? actually. Fight Network eventually oh. bought like bought Anthem HDNet? Group bought HD or Access TV as it's known now. Recently, oh, okay. like in recent years, last couple of years. Yeah. Well. All right. Another fight I liked was uh, I liked that Kang fighter. Yeah, Kang uh, Ho Kang, Mr. Perfect. I'm yeah, a he was massive good. fan of that guy. I always have yeah, been. Me too. I, I, I was watching because I was like, oh, let me see this one. Because I was like, there's probably not big implications to watch this one, you know? So I was like, let me watch it anyway. I was like, dang, Kang's technical. He's sharp. The way he popped that jab. And I was like, he fought well. And I'm happy I watched it because I, I really, really enjoyed Kang's uh, style and his technical ability. You know, he's been in the UFC for like 10 years, right? No, I wouldn't have not known. Yeah, he's, so, he's, like, that's what I'm saying. I, I would years. have no. I've never seen him. Never watched him. I, to me, he was just a local Singapore fighter on the card who was probably good, but he did. He did great. Sharp man. He, good jab. Aside from a no contest, which was overturned, like he had lost his split decision, but it was overturned. He's never lost outside of North America. He's five and zero outside of North America, and in North America, he's two and three. What was what was his biggest fight? My favorite what fight of his. If you want to go, if you're going to go back and watch one of his fights. Okay. You should write this down because it's it's one of my my favorite hipster fights. I call it a hipster fight because it's like a fight that not a lot of people know about, but it's an awesome fight. Okay. Him versus Michinori Tanaka. Michinori Tanaka. Where? Where was this? It was in Japan in 2014. Okay. It's one of my favorite fights to ever watch. I just love that fight. Really? I should go back and okay. watch it today. I just love watching that fight. It's a delight. Okay. Yeah. Man, because he, he looked like a all-around good kickboxer. The way he mixed things up, his long technique up jabbing moving mm-hmm. well he got cracked a lot which made him a fun fighter to watch too but technically when he threw he did great yeah. and th- that last fight the fight that i mentioned was his last fight before doing military service for the south korea it's a mandatory military service so he w- didn't fight in 2015 2016 or 2017 so yeah right. he had to take i guess he took two and a half years off i don't know i, I wonder what's going on with duho Choi. he's like he just got into the hall of fame for his fight he's he was like considered the next big thing 
And then we haven't yeah, seen he, him. He's, he's still only 31. He just turned 31 like two months ago. He's on a three-fight losing streak, but he's only fought like... He hasn't fought in more than two years. I don't know what's going on with, with that. I, I, yeah. I just wonder where he's been. What's going like? He was supposed to face somebody in July and had to pull out with an injury. So I guess he is, he is getting back in there. He's getting back, but, yeah. But uh, he pulled out. Huh. So I guess maybe we, we'll we don't see have too many year. Korean fighters on the, the roster, right? Two or three. Um, there's more than that, I would yeah. think. I mean, there was there's those two guys. There's Duho Choi and Sungwoo Choi. But there's also, um, I guess, Jin Yu Frey is Korean American. Um, there were a bunch that were on that road to UFC event last week. And I'm sure there's more. I I don't know. I, I don't remember who. A lot of them have retired. A lot of the big ones. Um, mm. Like, I'm uh, surprised we don't get a lot more from like Japan and stuff like that. Yeah, I think Japanese fighters are just you know fun. They've had a good history. Well, they're. I think they're starting to change that. I think they're starting to bring in a lot more uh, fighters from that region now that COVID yeah. protocols are are easing. And uh, they did that tournament last year, uh, last week, the Road to UFC tournament, which was mostly fighters from uh, that region. So we will see um, how that ends up playing out because they haven't announced when the finals for that. Or there were a lot of fun fights if you haven't caught that yet on Fight Pass. Uh, what do we got this week, Joe? We got uh, PFL is back. You got uh, Clay Collard fighting again. Our guy, o- Obon- Olivier Aubon Mercier, is a pretty big favorite against last year's winner, uh, Haush Manfio. And this is Friday night? This is Friday night. All right. And look at that. They actually have lines on FanDuel for this again because there was an issue. I don't know if you knew about this. Uh, the PFL did an event. They had like a content. I guess it was called the Challenger Series. They had it. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, and that. there was an event that was taped. That they didn't tell people was ta- that it was taped, so there were lines for it, and then people who had found out the results for it were just like smashing the people that won the fights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they Did got they into some real trouble with a lot of these sports books. Did they get to pay it out still, or no? No, Did I think they voided. Like, okay, I was like, geez, man, I would, I would be smiling yeah. ear to ear if I knew like that. The, the line ballooned up to like minus twenty five hundred kind of thing because like when yeah, the yeah, fights were done, everybody... right? It happened. Yeah. It's worth a shot at that point. Maybe they pay yeah, you out. Exactly. Who knows? You got twenty five hundred bucks. You three hundred dollars. Um, yeah. Although I don't. So think, the ones the to watch probably, there. Sorry. I going. think the limits were only like five hundred. So you probably would have won like oh, twenty bucks. Still. But whatever. Twenty bucks for free. I'll yeah. take it. Hey, why not? Anything free is yeah. good. So PFL, we're watching OAM and Jeremy Stevens are the biggest names for and us. And Clay Collard. I love watching Clay Collard. He's been a lot of Clay fun. Clay Collard. Okay. Yeah. But uh, and and Antonio Carlos Jr. Last year's tournament winner, former uh, UFC fighter. So. A lot of good Rob Wilkinson, that's who fought uh, Izzy, yep. I believe, in, in his, his debut. debut. Yep. Yeah. Rob Wilkinson, he's fighting at 205 now. And Josh Silvera, right. have you heard of Josh Silvera? I have he not. He's the son of Conan Silvera, the uh, coach at uh, ATT. And former, of course, legendary okay. fighter in his own right. All right. But nothing more exciting than Saturday's main event for yeah, me, I, I would I say. Yeah, I spoke to Calvin yesterday. I interviewed him. He, okay. He sounds like he's in How's a good he place. Feeling yeah, you know, he's he's got a great mental approach to things. It's like every former fight of his, he forgets about it. He's just like, I don't. I don't think about it at all. He's like, I don't even like talking about my win over Giga. It's just like, just looking forward. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I mean, he's so calm, so collected all the time. I mean, I just, uh, I'm excited, but uh, I think Josh Emmett is a lot more dangerous than people give credit for. He's got the most knockdowns in the history of the division. Yeah. His power once, I mean, Kelvin, I know he's got a strong chin, but he's got to really respect that power because that man's athletic he's fast he's explosive he's big he's strong but i think the biggest advantage is kelvin's iq and his use of his straight jab and his length so 
I'm excited. I just uh, hope Calvin can evade those uh, big shots. All right. Well, I've got a trivia for you because I, I asked Calvin this question. Okay. The current top 10 featherweights in the last three okay. years, how Am I allowed to look at the list or no? Yeah, yeah. You can pull up the list. Okay. I can pull up the yeah, list. Pull up, right. pull up the rankings. The top 10 UFC featherweights. In the last three years, how many of their fights have, have has a fighter lost inside the distance? Gotten finished, basically, in a fight. So repeat that question one more time. So in the last three years, how many of the, the current last... top 10 featherweights have lost inside the distance? Have lost inside the distance. In the last three years. I feel like this is a trick question, and I'm just kind of like adding things up. Um, in the last three years, it's got to be quite a bit, I would think. Um, say, okay, top 10, say each one fought twice at least. So that would be 60 fights, you know? 20, 30, yeah. 10, 20, 30, 60 It would probably be fights. more than How 60 fights because they're not only fighting each other, right? Yeah, they can yeah. still, yeah. So, okay, I'm going to say 10. One finish in the last three One. years. Korean really? Zombie against Volkanovski this year. That's the only finish in the last three years. The only time one of those guys has gotten finished in the last three years. Isn't that unreal? Jeez. What about the Yair Rodriguez elbow? That was more end? than three years ago. Oh, okay. Jeez. Isn't that unbelievable? Ortega. Yeah, that is very unbelievable. Dang. I guess, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to now every time I think and look back. This might be the best top 10 ever. If you go top to bottom here, this might be the best top 10 in the history of any ranked division ever. These guys are killers. I, <laughs> I feel bad for the guys in this division. And I said this to Calvin. I go, yeah. the reason why we're seeing the same guys fight for the title is because all the challengers are beating each other. All the contenders are beating each other. Like, the, yeah. look, look, like we just had Evloev beat Ige. So now you, you got Evloev moving to the top 10. I mean, this is just, these guys are absolute like they're, they're the best of the best it's it's crazy how good these guys are yeah and i mean even when holloway's putting beatings on right. like kelvin survived it you so know these Yair. guys are surviving it yeah you survived it yeah and volkanovsky uh, Ortega, only has really one Ortega finish in the last while took the beating but he survived Jeez, yeah that's a crazy the stat. Tough division, right? Like these are tough, that's tough guys. Insane. Two of them it are undefeated. It would be cool to compare that. To, I know it's a lot of work, but it would be interesting to compare that to all the divisions, you yeah. know, to see how it is, right? Oh, to sure. see how it is on others. But that's a that's a very might be more in the strawweight division. Yeah, I mean, like I Rose beat so. Whaley in the last three years, just off the top of my head. Whaley just beat Joanna, so there's definitely more in the last yeah, three there's years. There's two there, yeah, there's two right there. Yeah. Wow. Wow, yeah. I, I knew it was something had to have been. I even was like 10 was, seems low even. I feel like there'd yeah, be Calvin more Yeah, Calvin said 50%. 10. He goes, I don't know, 50%? Yeah. One. Yeah. One single Jeez. finish. So he had even no clue. You yeah. know, he didn't even have the clue. Wow. That's interesting. I like that. Yeah, so and the, the line on the fight going the distance is minus 130 for Cater uh, versus Emmett. But as we mentioned, Emmett has 12 knockdowns, the most in the history of the featherweight division, and has the second highest knockout knockdown rate rather in the, per 15 minutes. In the history of the featherweight division, who's number one? Uh, with the what? Most knockdowns division in, in the featherweight history. Featherweight division history. Most knockdowns per fifteen minutes. History. Yeah. Uh, it's an easy answer, but you have to think about it. Featherweight Jose Aldo. No, knockdowns, knockdowns. Knockdowns. I don't know what Connor. is it. Connor. Yeah. Connor was starching it wasn't everybody. That easy, okay, yeah. Everybody, people. Right. There was, there were some people. I, I, I usually don't read YouTube yeah. comments, 
But uh, I mentioned on Anakin Florian that when we were talking about the all-time featherweight greats, I said, you got to think about, you got to add Connor to that list. And some guy's like, Aaron's a fanboy. He doesn't know anything about fighting if he thinks Connor. Connor was, Connor is undefeated at featherweight in the UFC. He starts to everybody. He was the first guy to beat Aldo in, what, 10 years? Nobody beat Aldo, and he beat him in 13 seconds. Yeah. You have to give this guy, if you're going to give credit to Conor McGregor for any one thing in his career, it's his featherweight run. It's an unbelievable run. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I'm now you have me, th- yeah. Yeah, you're right. Jeez, yeah. No, I, I'm a Conor guy, so you can't, I'm, I'm, I like it. Right, I, but I mean, <laughs> but listen, right. I don't think that right. Conor's like an all-time top 10 fighter. But if you're looking no, but at what he did and when he was in featherweight exactly. was spectacular. Look, yeah. That's exactly it, right? Like nobody beat him. Nobody really came close to beating him. I mean, Mendez had one round no. against him and then got knocked out in the second. Yeah. I mean, the Aldo fight yeah, was Aldo boom fight. done. Yeah, he beat Holloway on a torn ACL. Yeah, by yeah. wrestling him, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, yeah. Try to try to pick Get holes in that. Con. Everybody wants to hate yeah. on. Try him, to pick holes in that can't. in that one featherweight run. That's that's he deserves full points for that. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah. And then well, we got Cerrone uh, and Lozon, uh, two of the all-time most bonuses in the UFC history. Fight night bonuses, Cerrone and Lozon. My gut's a little bit telling me Joe Lozon a little bit as I'm an underdog. I'm thinking the same thing. In terms of the value, I think that Lozon might be the, might be the side. In fact, there was one, uh, one line that I really like that I'm going to be recommending for TSN Edge. Lozon by submission at plus 850 on FanDuel. Yeah, I like it. I just think uh, Cerrone... Who knows where his head is? I know he's a gamer, but I think he's been out in his mentally a little bit. I mean, so I think uh, I think Lozon has a good really shot here. But yeah, if you're gonna go, why not decision or submission? An interesting stat about Lozon: his first three three UFC fights, he went three and zero. He landed a combined eighteen significant strikes in those three fights, and he won three and zero. Pretty unbelievable. His grappling. Yep, he's good. Boston boy. Yeah, he's he's got to be what thirty six, thirty seven ish. Uh, might even be more. Let me look. Because you remember, he beat Jens Pulver. It was one of the big upsets in UFC history at the time. He's 38 years old. Just right. turned 38. Young boy there. Well, how old Joe is Cowboy? Lozano. Cowboy's probably the same age. Yeah. Cowboy looks a little bit a little more weathered, I think. He's 39. So, Jeez. Yeah, there you go. And we got uh, Kevin Holland against Tim Means. Kevin Holland. That's another one I'm kind of thinking. Like, I'm I, I big Kevin fan. But I'm thinking Tim Means is so difficult to fight anybody. The way he is pressure. I mean, I think Kevin will get it done, but I don't think it's going to be as easy as a as a. He's a minus two twenty. I'm seeing right now. Yeah, I don't no, think minus it's two ninety five. Kevin Holland. Oh, it's gone up. Yeah. yeah, the UFC has him right here. I guess they didn't update yeah. it. Minus two twenty. Minus two ninety five. Kevin Holland. You agree Min- with Means that line? Plus two twenty. I mean, I don't think Means is going to win. <laughs> so I, like, no, I don't think yeah, so either. I think the value's think on him, means... but I, I don't know. I think Holland's going to have a big size advantage over him. I know Means is a big guy, but Means used to fight at 55 also, we have to remember. So I think that Holland will be a bigger, like a sturdy. I fighter. like a decision in this fight. I don't think Kevin is going to get it done, but I think yeah. uh, a decision, the decision prop, prop is nice, minus yeah. 118. So it's just a little bit juicy. Okay. Yeah. Not bad, but yeah, no, I, I, I hope, I hope Kevin gets a nice run because he just is exciting, you know. Like I just, he goes for it. The risk, he talks well, he's funny. 
I mean, do you see his promos that he's doing where he he's the when he fought cowboy? He kind of came out in a ranch riding a cowboy. This next one here, he's choking out Big Bird. Okay. The actual Big mm-hmm. Bird, he's choking him out. So he's just funny promos, funny entertainment. He's doing his thing. So I think the personality itself just makes him a great fighter. He's a super nice guy. I saw him in Phoenix and, and chatted with him a little bit in, in the lobby there. Just like said hi, yeah. how are you? I said like this thing I can challenge you in because like he he people challenge him to like come to his gym. It's like maybe like connect yeah, four yeah, or yeah. something. I'm trying to think of anything that I might be able to beat. Something. You at. Yeah. Yeah. And he laughed. He laughed oh, it off. Fight trivia. You would smash him in fight trivia. Yeah, most people I would, but yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Albert Duryev minus two ten. Joaquin Buckley plus one sixty two. Duryev looked like a complete smash machine on uh, the Ultimate Fighter, but then in his debut he was looking like he had some holes. So. This is kind of a wait-and-see approach for me. I don't know what to think of this one. Is this a striker versus grappler 100%. style? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know enough about uh, Durev, is it? Durev. How would you say The thing is, Durev's Durev? good at getting chokes, but Buckley's really compact, right? Those are the harder guys to choke. I even said that to Damon Jackson two weeks ago when he was against Dan Argetta. I was like, this guy doesn't have much of a neck. You're going to have to find something yeah, else. Yeah. He was like, oh, okay, Dick I'll have to find an arm or a leg. Yeah. And lo no, and behold, he couldn't choke good. him. He had good position on him. And Buckley's experience now, he's comfortable in the octagon. Uh, I think, yeah, it'd be a tough one. Well, here's my play that I always make. Ismagulov by decision. Demir Ismagulov is facing Guram Kutataladze. But Ismagulov by decision is like plus 135. Just any time he's fighting, just take him by decision. He's just a great technical striker. Yeah, and you got to say this other guy's name for me again. This is, that was great. Kutataladze. Kutataladze. Yeah. That's Rolls nice. Off what is uh, Jordan? Jordan? Jordanian? Yeah, Jordan. Georgian. If it ends with Z-E, it's typically Georgian. Z, it is, yeah. Because yeah. I always see Giga Chikatze, yeah. so that's why I figured. But yeah, the the, the bald head and the beard. And Guram a... has a, a win over, um, uh, what's his name, who's going to be in the main event uh, in, in two weeks against Tsarukian, uh, Mar- uh, Gamrot, Mateusz Gamrot, I believe, in Kutate Ladze's debut. He beat Gamrot by decision, and then afterwards when he was interviewed, he was like, no, I think that my opponent won. <laughs> I was like, all right, yeah. probably not the best thing you should say in a speech. It was a close fight. Yeah, I remember that. That's funny. Yeah. That's it. I wouldn't remember the names, but I remember that actually happening. Yeah. That's awesome. Gregory Rodriguez, a minus 205 favorite against Marquez at plus 158. I, I like Marquez here, honestly, as an underdog. Me I too. think that Marquez has a lot of ways to win this fight. And another one I'm looking at is the Marquez by submission prop is plus 950. Yeah. And Mark, Mar, uh, Marquez is, uh, I believe, a um, James, James yeah, Krause guy, Krause too. Out in Kansas. Yeah. And I learned recently his dad, Julian Marquez's dad, is an MMA and boxing judge. I didn't realize that. Really? Yeah, I was chatting with Julian recently, and he told me that. How many fights are on this card, by it's the all, way? Yeah, I just there's went, a lot of fights on this card. I just, I just went over to the prelim section over here, and I'm like, one, two, three, I mean, four, five, six, long day seven, eight. <laughs> Jeez. So that's a big – those commentators got some work. This guy you're a big fan of, Adrian Yanez, minus 350. I'm actually speaking with him in about 18 minutes' time. He's taking oh, on nice. uh, Tony Kelly. Um Tony Kelly, fun fight. the guy that was in the corner for Andrea Lee, that said the other thing that I took exception to. So oh, yeah. okay. be a, that was that's who it was. Be an honorary Brazilian on Saturday, Adrian Yanez. Okay, <laughs> that's uh, that'll be fun. And Jasmine Jasudovicius, who we're very yeah. familiar with, she's a minus two sixty five favorite against Natalia. Silva. That's what I was saying. Big favorite yeah, too. Big favorite. Is this Silva girl grappler based? She hasn't fought in like two and a half years. Okay. So, but what's her style? Know. Where does Jazzy you think, and how does she get it done? I like the Jasmine inside the distance prop, um, or by the KO prop is plus 700 for Jasmine. You know her. She's just relentless, and she'll put a pace on someone. I might take a look yeah. at that as well. Okay, yeah. No, I, I just, I, yeah. I'll, I, I like her by decision mostly, but, uh, yeah, 
I like it. Hopefully she gets the finish. Yeah, so that would be ideal. That big of a favorite, so good for her. I mean, she won as an underdog against Kay Hansen in her last fight. So, um, Court McGee against Jeremiah Wells. Close, close fight. Wells trains with those guys in Philly. The Daniel Gracie team, I believe. So uh, it's hard to bet against those so, guys right now. Is that uh, Sean Brady yeah, camp, camp and those guys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't go against <laughs> yeah, those guys. But and Court he's the McGee, underdog. He's, yeah, Court McGee. Yeah, I don't know. I, Court, uh, Court McGee is more of the underdog there. No, the odds changed, I no, guess. No, Gordon McGee's minus 122. So okay, UFC's got old fight. odds. You're taking who, I'll be sorry? Taking Wells, Wells? Yeah. If, if you're on that yeah. Daniel Gracie team and you're an underdog, you're probably worth, worth a stab. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that. Ricardo Hamos, minus 340. Danny Chavez, plus 250. So this was supposed to be the Duho Choi fight, I believe. Um, either that or Hamos' opponent pulled out and they moved Chavez up to this card. I don't know much about Danny Chavez. i got to remember who he is. Um, one underdog I'll be taking is Maria Oliveira, plus 210 against Gloria de Paula. Minus 280. You know, DePaulo's, she, she fought Belbitsa last time, Crew Allen's uh, um, yeah. pupil. And mm-hmm. she looked really good. Her striking's improving, but I just can't take her as this big of a favorite. I don't think that she's that... I, I honestly think she's got a lot of holes in her game. And uh, even though Maria Oliveira is not... You know, she didn't look great in her debut. With a full camp, let's see how she performs this time around. Diana won that fight, no, right? No, she lost by a... She I lost think it was that either one, a split, split decision or a unanimous decision. Close fight. Okay. Uh, Cody Stamen minus 530 against Eddie Wineland, plus 360. Um, the Stamen decision prop is... Uh, what's Stamen by decision? Uh, where is that? Minus 110. I will be. Pu- I will definitely have that as a TSN edge pick. You like the decision? I like with the decision versus... with Stamen, yeah. Okay. He's not really a potent finisher, so I, I, like, the, I like the decision prop there. Um, Phil, uh, Phil Haas, minus 220, uh, 290. Deron Wynn, the, uh, the protege of Daniel Cormier, plus 215. Uh, this one's a dog or pass for me. I mean, both are really good wrestlers. I think it's going to come down to the striking. Yeah, I, I just think I, I don't really have a strong lead on this one. And then finally, Kyle Dawkins, minus 265. Roman Delizze, plus 200. Yeah. They got him the curtain jerker. Good old yeah. Kyle Dawkins. Like is I said, I said this a couple weeks ago. People should not get offended of their, about their positions on the card. The reason that Dawkins is the first fight on the card is because they want you to watch the first fight on the card. Yeah, I know. I know. I guess uh, Roman's good too. He's a fun fighter yeah. to watch. Love, Big boy. Love to pull for those leg locks. Yeah. So I mean, all right. You need you need something to get the fans excited. So Kyle Dawkins. I'm happy. I, I'm always it. happy to watch a, any Dawkins. Kyle, Chris. Yeah. Oh, yeah Steve Dawkins. If there was such a guy, I'd watch his fights too. Yeah. A Jimmy Dawkins, yeah, the cousin exactly. Jimmy. Get all those guys from Philly together. Uncle Bob yeah. Dawkins yeah, would exactly. be fun to get watch. Them all, yeah. Get them all going. Put them all on the card. Have a card That's in Philly. It. Just bring out the whole Dawkins crew. Yeah, you got to bring his aunts in there. You know, Julianne Dacus would be fun <laughs> yeah. to watch. Christina Dacus. Yeah, one of the top flyweights, from what I understand, in the, uh, yeah, in the Philadelphia up, up the cover, yeah. regional scene. That's funny. CFFC. You would know. You know yeah, them all, yeah, Aaron. Yeah. If there's a Dacus that's going to be fighting, I know them. There you Kyle go. Kyle or Chris. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only, the only two I think there were four ones. brothers, though, if I recall. And like, the there's a big age gap. Ones. I think Chris is the oldest, and they have another. they have a brother that's like 12 or something. Okay, so Chris and then Kyle's what the next oldest? I think I'm so, and then I think there's two younger ones, but I might be wrong on that. So there you go. Well, I'm sure those younger ones will be watching the older two and want to do it too. Yeah, they said there was a lot of a lot of rumbling in the house uh, at a young age. Uh, yeah. Well, that's it, Joe. That's uh, that's what we got for the the upcoming card. Dubai. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any real big news to break down um, from the last little bit. Obviously, they've announced that uh, Leon Edwards will be facing Kamaru Usman, and that's coming up uh, in Salt Lake City in August. We've been expecting that one for a while. 
Uh, Ronda Rousey said she'd come back for an MMA fight against uh, Gina Carano. I, I don't think that's going to happen. No, but that's pretty funny. Yeah. Nice. Out of all the people the to call out, Gina. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, hey, I mean, if you're going to... That somebody's been out of the game for that long. I mean, that's a fair fight, right? So That's the one to take, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's about it. I don't, there's not a whole lot... Uh, apparently, Josh Kulabau said that he wants to run it back with Charles Jordan, but we'll see... Uh, if Jordan wins his next fight, I think that the tra- trajectory is going to be very upwards if he's able to beat Shane yeah. Burgos. Jordan Burgos has got to be That's one of the fights fight. I'm most excited for. Yeah. yeah, like, I mean, I don't care about these titles a lot of times. Yeah, I watch them, but that Jordan Burgos fight is fight of the night easily. Just give those guys 50 yeah. Gs to start. Give them the, start. Check, give them give them the check now because those boys are going to go yeah. and – they they don't hold back and they're both exciting and I mean I just uh, I like both of them so I hate that one of them has to lose but for the sport itself that's uh, the most fantastic fight. That'd be a fun segment for Charles to shoot on social media like for like a like a video he just goes into like a loan office and he's like hey let me show you why you should advance me this fifty thousand dollars here's here are my fights yeah. here's my opponent's fights here's it's a, case closed and there boom. you go check written. Yeah, head over to the CIBC here in Canada exactly. and get it done. Or what's that? What that cash money? Head head over to cash money. Cash the money. Advanced, the advance the advance payday loans. The advance paydays. Yeah. All right, but he does, It's gonna send those boys the money. I'm telling you, it's coming. All right, Joe. Always appreciate you. Um, I think we'll do this again after International Fight Week, probably. Yeah, let's do it. I'm enjoy it. Now I have more to talk about here. I like. Well, I'll be in so Vegas. I missed you guys. I missed you, Aaron. Yeah. So. Um, just the uh, the little weeks off makes you makes miss you guys even well, it more. Makes the show that much better too. But the show's there always good. Go. But you know, yeah, those monologues are they're catching fire. So that's it. All right. Well, I'm gonna keep doing them then. Yeah, I like it. I, I mean, I sent you your first one. I believe was on scoring. I sent that to a lot of my fighters and stuff like oh, that. Oh, good. Too. I'm just like, listen. I'm like, guys, look. He broke it out for you in such an easy way. This is the yeah, scoring. Video, Boom, and I just it. send it out. Easy. That's it. Yeah. And that's there for perpetuity. Nice if anybody's arguing scorecards with me, I'll send them the video. Send them the vid. Yeah. Yep. I've been sending it out. So when people are asking, I'm like, look, 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 look. Boom. So, there you go. Well, I'm glad video. you're watching it. I have it on Instagram special for you, Joe, so you can find it. Yeah. It's there. <laughs> nice and quick and easy. That's why I'm only there on Instagram these days. Yeah. There you go. That's where you catch me. All right, Joe. Well, thanks for doing this. Um, here's my interview with uh, Robert Rampa. He's a reporter, a journalist from the Czech Republic for Idna Sport. So I, I spoke to him about the importance of having a champion from the Czech Republic and what it means to their great country. Here's my little talk with Robert Rampa. There haven't been a whole lot of fighters from the Czech Republic that have made it to the UFC, let alone become the champion of the world, which Yuri Prokhazka did this past Saturday. So joining me is Robert Rampa from Idnes Sport in the Czech Republic from Prague, what does this mean to your country to have an athlete like Yuri Prokhashka rise to the highest level of the UFC? Hello, hello to everybody. Uh, this is a two-part uh, answer. Uh, for MMA community, uh, it's a m- massive, it's a huge accomplishment. Uh, every fighter I have spoken to uh, watched the fight and was like crazy uh, while watching the fight. Uh, it's a, It's a... I, I don't I don't I don't want I don't I can't uh, describe it uh, even, uh, but there is uh, another part uh, and it's it's a mainstream community mainstream uh, public uh, which don't know MMA yet uh, 
and uh, th there is only few years of uh, watching uh, MMA in Czech Republic. So uh, for uh, common people in Czech Republic, it's a quite new thing, and a lot of people is uh, questioning uh, what's that sport, what's MMA, uh, what is it like uh, to be uh, in a cage and to fight. I saw the response for people in Brno when he came home and there were so many people lining the streets. It seemed like a massive homecoming for Yiri. Why was it so important for people to be out there to support him? And how many people were there? Were you there? Do you know, do you know how many people showed up? Uh, some people say it was like 2,000 people. Some guesses was 10,000 people. I think 10,000 was uh, is too much. But uh, I, I was remembering uh, which athlete uh, from Czech Republic uh, has uh, or had uh, this uh, welcome in the past 10 years maybe. There was like uh, Petra Kvitová, tennis, uh, tennis player, uh, she won uh, Wimbledon. Uh, there was like Olympic uh, gold medalists. Uh, they have this welcome, a uh, few hundreds of people uh, on, uh, on a street, but uh, I can remember this huge welcome. Uh, Jiri Procházka is from Brno, so uh, I think uh, it was very, very good to to make that happen right there in Brno, because Jiri is theirs. Jiri is from Brno, and they are proud of it. And final question for you, Robert. Thank you for doing this. What was the experience like for you, watching it as somebody who does follow the sport, who does cover the sport, watching a fight like that, the way that it played out, one of the greatest fights of all time, and then how did you celebrate or experience it after the fact? I mean, you don't want to show favoritism, but of course there are very few fighters from the Czech Republic that are able to rise to this kind of level. So talk to me about your personal experience. Yeah, we were watching it uh, in, a, in a group of like 10 or 20 people. Uh, you know, you want to stay... Uh, above it you don't want to show emotions because you know uh, you know those guys you make interviews with them you know them personally but you know you you will write about them so while watching the fight it was like i was holding my head and uh, i cannot believe that yuri survived so many uh, situations uh, in that in that cage uh, and of course, I'm glad for him because I know Yiri. Yiri is a humble guy and uh, he deserves this. Uh, you know, I am very glad for him, but uh, I, I wanted to stay calm and I hope uh, I, I hope I manage it. Uh, but uh, it was a long, long night. Uh, you know, we we came together like at uh, noon and watching like for eight hours. So it was a long night, uh, not much sleep. So the emotions, of course, uh, came after this big emotions. Right, Robert. Well, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for doing this. And congratulations to you and your country for uh, bringing home a championship. Thank you very much. I will see you tomorrow. So I, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.